uh, Romans 7, 24, 25. And uh, have you got it there, Steve? If I look on my phone, it'll take me a while. So, yeah, go ahead. You need to do, the, you need to do something here. So. All right. So Romans chapter 7 and verse 21. So I find this law at work. You just want those two? Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> I feel like I've been set up here. What a wretched man I am. I thought, is this April 1st? Am I? <laughs> what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, in myself and my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. May God bless his word. Thank you, Steve. <clears throat> I think we should pray now, right? But actually, I, I was going to pray anyway before this. But I was just thinking this morning, there are probably some farms right now that need rain. And we're in a farming community. So I'd like to just lead us in prayer that God would uh, give our land a refreshing. Uh, it's right about that time where it needs to happen, I think. So... God, this morning, as a church family, we just uh, stand with our farming families, and we ask with them, we join our prayers with theirs, and we say, Lord, would you refresh the land? Would you send rain in season, in timely fashion, to help these crops uh, begin to move through their cycle? We pray your blessing upon our family folks, our farming folks, rather, and just guard them and help them through this season, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, we're talking about sin again this morning, but it's, uh, hopefully it'll take us to a good place. We have a great object lesson this morning. I will just mention it in just a couple of minutes again, just how so fitting what we read here in Romans is tied to what we're seeing happen here as people are baptized this morning. Um, <clears throat> again, these two chapters that I've been uh, given the task of preaching through, uh, chapter 6 and 7, in chapter 6, there's 19 references to sin. Chapter 7, there's 18 references to sin. Um, that is obviously for, it's there for a reason. Uh, we're leading us through to chapter 8. Doug will be speaking next Sunday on chapter 8 of Romans. Brilliant passage of scripture. Uh, Doug will do a masterful job, I'm sure. It's just, uh, we're, we're kind of coming to the greater place as we come through uh, to chapter 8. Romans is often talked about as being, <clears throat> excuse me, the Roman road. You're kind of traveling on this road, and it's, it's a journey that all of us go on. I think some of us feel like we get down the road, and then we get detoured and have to cycle back around and go through it again. But we're working our way through to living Christian lives free from sin. That's our goal. I think we need to understand that God's call for us is to be people who are holy and clean of heart, and that's our great journey. Some of the takeaways from last week, just a couple of them. I think all of us, if we're honest, would say, yeah, I've got my battles with sin. 
Uh, I look at some of you and I just assume because you look so happy and charming, I think, well, they don't, but maybe you do too. I think we all, they're all different. The things that you struggle with may not be the same that I struggle with, but all of us as Christian people, as we get closer and closer to the holy presence of God, we see more and more in ourselves, you think, ah, that just shouldn't be here. We just shouldn't have that in our lives. Um, Sin, I want to just say again, just a reminder to us all, that sin is really dangerous, and it is really, really damaging to our lives. Um, I think that sometimes we don't want to say that to ourselves. We just assume that it's not there. But I think it can be as subtle as an attitude. Uh, It can be something as toxic as taking an offense and carrying an offense against somebody and mad at somebody about something that maybe happened years ago. It can be somebody in our families, in our churches, in our communities. Sometimes, God forbid, even in our, in our marriages that we can have kind of something going on between us. I often have to help Pat with that kind of thing. So uh, <laughs> I give her lots of reasons to be like, what are you doing? You know, so, yeah. Um, What is sin? Sin is acting or behaving in a way that does not conform with God's character or his commands. It's about crossing lines that have been laid down uh, by God for us. Sin is thus an act of rebellion and distrust. It's kind of like we're saying to God, you don't get to make the rules. And sometimes we we think we can kind of decide what we can and cannot do. That, that little passage is taken from the Gospel Coalition. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ deals with the penalty and power of sin in our lives. In Christ and in his death and in his resurrection, that's our great hope. Um, I mentioned last week this, this old kind of teaching that used to cycle through our churches quite a bit back in the 60s and 70s. I think it still does. We just don't use the same terms. But the idea of positional truth, that I'm in Christ. And you just go through books like Ephesians, and again and again and again, that phrase is uh, repeated, in Christ. Uh, we are seated in the heavenlies, in Christ. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in him, in his death. This object lesson this morning, these dear folks are going to make a statement to us. They're literally making a confession, saying, I have died with Christ to my sin, and I have risen to a new life in Christ, and our hope is that someday in his resurrection we will also be resurrected, and we will someday someday be with him where he is. And I said last week, uh, God is, our, our salvation is so secure, God says, in my look at you, I look past time, and I don't have any clocks, God says, I see your life I see all of it, and he said, I see you in heaven in Christ. Ephesians says that we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ. So that great position that we have, that doesn't mean that we don't have struggles. It just means we have a settled destiny in the great love of God. We have power to live a life free from sin. We need to remind ourselves of that and not allow ourselves, not make excuses and say, I can do this. No, I am allowed to live free from sin, and so I should. We can also say with a smile on our face and with peace in our hearts 
God, you said in Scripture that you that begin a good work in us, you will keep on working until your work in us is complete. And we are not complete until we land on heaven's shore, whether it be through death or the the rapture or whatever, the second coming of Christ. When we go from here to there, the final bit of work is done. But today we live in a world that's broken. I mentioned last week that Brian had made the phrase at camp. Um, He said that, isn't it interesting that God takes an unholy person, saves them, makes them holy, and yet allows them or makes them live in an unholy world. And sometimes that is a great challenge to us. One of the great statements that pops up in Romans chapter 7 is this simple phrase. It, it just used, I'll just pick up part of the phrase. The new way of the spirit, not the old way of the written code. We're going to talk about two sort of dynamics of the law of God that shows up in chapter 7. And I'll just give you kind of a, a say it in the front end just so you can kind of get it. Part is the law plays a role in our conversion. I'll explain that. The law actually takes its place in us and leads us towards a salvation experience. And it's also there in our life, even after we become a Christian, the law has an active role in us because it always shows me where I'm out of line. And I'll explain what the Romans says, some really interesting things about that. Chapters 6 and 8 are understood by everybody. A lot of us think that chapter 7 is really speaking to the Jewish people because it talks quite a bit about the law. And as you know, when the fellows introduced us to this study, they said there's these two elements of the congregation in Rome. One was the Jewish believers, and the other was the pagan, Roman, or Gentile believers. And their cultural differences were very profound. And the way they approached God was affected by what they'd been raised in. And even here this morning, if you look across our, our amazing congregation, we've got people from lots of different backgrounds. And so your Christian faith, is, it's still the same as anybody else's, but sometimes the nuances in our faith are different. And the emphasis we have or the focus we may have may be different. That's probably being addressed in the book of Romans because Paul is writing this to Roman Christians. So he can say it's focused on the Jews, but may I just, this is uh, me adding in, but I think it makes sense. Um, It's not just for Jewish people. It's for all the people who are in the room this morning who live by rules, who live by code. Um, Sometimes people who are wired that way, some people are, they're disciplined kind of people. They they work at being disciplined in their life. Sometimes if if that's an unhealthy rule keeper, uh, they become judgmental of themselves and everybody else. So it's not just Jewish people who live by law. Lots of us as Christians have, if you don't think so, read Galatians where Paul says, what are you doing? You're going back to law when you realize you've been saved by grace? What are you thinking? Why are you going back into that old system? I think that's there for all of us. Let's just read Romans chapter 7, verse 1 to 4. And I didn't know this morning when, you know, this reading thing happened that 
I would be asking Steve to make a confession that he's a wretched man. <laughs> I just I just about got the giggles going on back there. I thought I'm not going to be able to preach this morning, but he's not wretched at all. He's he's a good guy. Romans chapter 7, verse 1, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds him. Now, it kind of goes in and says, now if she has sexual relations. Now, just so you know, it says... Following it, it says, if she gets married and then has that other thing. So it's got to be married. She can go from where she was married to another marriage. She's, she's set free from the first husband because he passed away. And so they're perfectly fine for her to move on and remarry. So he's saying, listen, you died to the law. In Christ, you died to that code of conduct thing that was going to bring you to God Jesus satisfied all the demands. He died with it, and in a sense, we died to it. I no longer am able to approach God based on my capacity or my intention to follow his laws. That as a way of being in a good standing with God is no longer valid for us. Why? Because, well, Jesus took care of it for us. We never could keep all the laws anyway. But it's, we are free from those obligations. All the holy requirements are satisfied. Christ was sinless perfection who then took onto himself all of our law-breaking and died for it, and we are free of it. Keeping the law perfectly is not possible, so it can't save me. There's just nobody can keep all the rules. Some of us keep some of the rules of God some of the time, but in moments of whatever, where we have a bad reaction to something or we make a mistake or think a wrong thought, then everything else is kind of rendered no good because, well, we broke the code. So that is just not a way to approach God. We needn't worry about that. But the law does expose our sin. So it plays its role in bringing me to faith when I realize I can't keep your law. I was talking to some of the folks here in our Tuesday night rise group about the tabernacle. And there's such picture in that thing. And I mean, it can go on and on, all the things that are in, the built, in that old building, in that old desert tabernacle. But there was this glorious manifestation of God's presence in the Holy of Holies that was actually visible. Can you imagine? Can you imagine walking into a room where there's this light, and I can't even, whether there was color in it, I don't know, but there was this glowing, fiery, at night there was a pillar of fire over the camp coming up, up, coming up out of that spot. And in the daytime there was a pillar of smoke hovering above that spot. The presence of God was right there. In the Ark of the Covenant underneath where the presence of God was, was the law. So God is relating to his law. We break the law. We're in trouble, except the priest would come and sprinkle blood, shed blood on the mercy seat above the broken law. So the presence of God, when he looked at the law, he looked at it through the blood. And just so you know this morning, when he looks at you, 
If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he sees you under the blood. The laws that you break, the rules that you've broken, the bad things you've done, even this morning on the way to church, that guy cut you off. What did you say? You know, just kidding. Did you wave at him? <laughs> Once in a while that happens. Everything under the blood. I'm forgiven because the perfect sacrifice was made and the blood was shed for me. Romans chapter 7 verse 5 says this, for we are in the realm of the for when we are in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions arise by the law at work in us so that we bore the fruit of death. It's a little hard to understand. Let me just read on. Romans chapter 7 verse 6, but now by dying to what's bound us, we've been released from the law so that we know that we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And here's, here's some beautiful things. Hebrews chapter 10, 10, verse 15 and 16 says this. The Holy Spirit testifies to, the, to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts and, we will, and I will write it on their minds. Listen, if you've given your life to Christ, you may be aware of this, you may be very aware of it, you may not be aware. He's actually written the code in your heart. What was once chiseled on stone is now written inside of you. And God says, if you'll listen to your heart, if you'll listen to your conscience, you will hear my voice inside yourself saying, that's not for you. Or commending you when you're doing the right thing. Either saying, that's not good, or that's really good, keep doing that. It's written inside of us. Psalm 32, 9 says, Do not be like a horse or the mule that have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle. God said, listen, I don't want to have to force you. I want you to grow in your faith to the place where you become sensitive to the inner prompting of my spirit in your heart. Do you know what I'm saying? Can you recognize that in yourself? Or you, a little voice that goes off inside of you saying, you know, that's not what I would have wanted for you. Or before you actually do it, he's saying, no, don't go there. Don't go there. What once was written on tablets is now written inside of us. We're not working with the tablets of stone. We're working with what God's put inside of our hearts. Reading on in Romans 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would, I would not have known what sin, what sin was had it not been for the law. I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, don't covet. We will see that the law serves a purpose in our conversion by showing us our flaws, but it can also serve us, who, we who are Christians, by making us aware of what we need to know to work on. Chapter 7, verse 8 from the Living Bible says it this way. But sin, used, uh, but sin used this law against evil desires by reminding me that such desires are wrong and arising all kinds of forbidden desires within me. Only if there were no laws to break would there be no sinning. From the voice, it puts it this way. Sin took advantage of the commandment to create a constant stream of greed and desire within me 
I begin to want to see everything you see apart from the law. Sin lies dormant. I'll read one more. 7.13, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. I think what God writes in us, what God makes us aware through scripture, he says, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not what I want for you. As I become aware of that, I begin to realize I've got this stuff still in me. There's things in me that are attitudes that I learned over a lifetime that are still there. And God's saying, no, that needs to change. As we journey into a greater awareness of law, it shows us I'm really messed up inside, a bit more than I thought. And I need God's work in my life. So oftentimes we need to understand that the law serves a purpose in exposing what's unhealthy inside of us. Romans chapter 7, verse 21 to 24 says this, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Here's the famous reading. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? The language is graphic. Waging war. Inner conflict. I think sometimes that inner conflict, it may feel unpleasant, but it's absolutely necessary for me to feel a sense of conflict to realize I've got to change. I need to grow. That needs to stop in my life. And again, I really feel with all my heart that God is in a, this process uh, into holy living, this process that is actually preparing me for eternity it is just that. It's a process. I could wish we could just say one sinner's prayer, have one thing happen, and bam, I'm free of sin forever and ever and ever. Amen. But that's just not the way it is. We're on a journey towards him. The refining process, is a, it goes on and on and on day by day. And that is why we need to be students of Scripture. We need to cultivate a heart that's really sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. When that inner prompt comes and says, Dave, that's not, that's not the best thing. That's not for you. I need to have a sensitivity to his word to me, whether it's in this inner voice or on written scripture, I need to surrender and say, I submit my will to you. I will do as you say, I, I take a knee. There is a lot, there's things that we struggle with inside. But again, I just want to take us back. It's not the same thing as the old man. We're going to see somebody make a commitment here in just a few minutes is saying, I'm saying to all of you, I died with Christ. 
I'm going into this water as symbolic of dying to the old way of life. My old man is going to die there. But then there's this flesh, this part of me, this human part of me that has memory, that has imagination, that has a willfulness. It's like there's this old, ugly part of me and this new life that's been born in my life and my heart is, I want to go this way, I want to walk this way, but I find that there's this tug back and forth. Um, I think Brother McLean, Masson College, used to say back in the day, FGBI, he said, listen, which side of your life are you feeding? Do you feed the spiritual side of your life or are you feeding the old side of your life? this dark, troubled, unsettled part of you. Which, which are you feeding? What are you taking in? What are you feeding into yourself? Whatever side, whichever man, new man or old man, in a sense, that you feed, this guy's dead and gone, but his voice is still there. The memory's still there. The toxic stains that he imprinted in you, they're still there. Which side are you feeding? Where do you spend your time? Galatians 5, 19, 21 says this, the works of the flesh are obvious or evident. And here's a horrible list of what comes from this, this flesh within us. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. You think, oh man, I'm free of all of those. Hatred, contentions, jealousy, Outbursts of wrath, selfishness, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness and revelries, and the like. What a list, eh? There's not a lot of good stuff in here, in that part of me that's stained. But also living within me is the very presence of God. I need to be yielding to that and saying no to this old that would still keep pulling me that way. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says this. For those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. To become a child of God, we must see our sin for what it is. Conversion must happen. To become clean in all the areas of our lives, we need to see sin for what it is and change and ask for cleansing and, and move on. That's sanctification. He's cleansing the vessel. He's making us ready. And here, if I have, one of the greatest challenges I have with my own journey of, into sanctification, I'm painfully aware of what's wrong with me. You don't have to take me aside after church and say, Dave, I've noticed. <laughs> Listen, I already noticed. There's stuff that I'm not happy with. You know, the great thing that we lose when we're not a clean vessel, we lose that gentle, intimate anointing of the Holy Spirit that gives us power in our words and interactions. There's, there's just an anointing that resides comfortably in us, and we're aware of it, and we can walk in it. The cleaner we are of heart, 
I, I'm, I know some of the pastoral disasters of the famous TV evangelists of years gone by. Um, you know, I, you look back and you just kind of get a shudder, kind of, oh. Some person that was preaching Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and big crowds of people and all kinds of, looked like all kinds of things were happening. And yet we find out after the fact that there was a nightmare of sin in the person's life. And you think, what was all that? Maybe it was just human hype. Maybe it wasn't the gentle anointing of the Spirit. It was human personality. God help us. We need to be clean so that we can be effective communicators of God's wonderful truth. To become a child of God, we need to see our sin for what it is. That's conversion. To become clean so we live that sanctification. I want to close with this, and then we're in just a few minutes. I'm going to call uh, those that are going to be baptized up. I'm going to close in prayer before I do that, so don't think I've forgotten when I start praying. So uh, I, I'm, I've got it written down right here, and I've got the, the note from Laura, you know. Right there. So I asked her for a note, and I got the note. Thank you, Laura. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, but here's, here's a story that will conclude for me what I want to conclude. It's taken from John's gospel. You'll know the story. John chapter 13, verses 5 to 10. I will just read it, and the comments will be few. I think you'll get the point. After that, this is Jesus at the Last Supper. Okay, you know the story. You know the, what's happening here. After that, it says, he, I just picked it up in verse 5. He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter. Aren't, aren't you glad there's a Simon Peter in the Bible? You know, that guy that's always got a sandal in his mouth, you know, like, Peter. Boy, that's a lot of us, right? We're like Peter, you know. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You will never wash my feet. Now, I don't know if that was him saying, because you're my master, I don't want you washing my feet. For whatever reason, he said, no, I don't want you to wash my feet. Then Jesus says this, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then there's Simon. He goes from being way off kilter to just so on target. He then says, Lord, <laughs> if that's the case, wash all of me. You can just hear Peter saying that kind of crazy stuff. And then Jesus says this, and hear it carefully. Those of you who have had a bath only, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. There are religious movements that will tell you every time you sin, you need to get saved again. Because what you've done is broken your relationship with God and you need to be saved again. I don't think that's right. I think once I've committed my life to Christ, I have been washed. He's given me a thorough cleansing. But the part of us that touches this old dirty world, our minds, our imaginations, whatever, that needs continual cleansing. 
And so I want to just say this morning, I'm just I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Just all of you just stand up. That way we won't expose anybody. Brief prayer. If you know in your heart, as I've rambled through this, if you know in your heart, Lord, I've got some stuff on my feet <laughs> from the world I'm walking in. I've seen something. I've heard something. I've been exposed to something. I've maybe even reached into something I shouldn't have. Lord, you and I know that I'm, I'm dirty there. As I pray, just say, Lord Jesus, just cleanse my feet. Lord Jesus, you, you know us, you see inside of us, you know. We just ask you, Lord, wash our feet. Wash my mind, wash my heart, wash my imagination. Wash my attitudes, cleanse me, and make me clean. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to invite, uh, there's four people being baptized today. Um, we're going to invite them to come up, and, and Ashley's family, she's going to be the first one. So we're going to ask you to give some room 